Book One, Chapter Two of *The Cathedral* by Hugh Walpole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two, Ronders. The train that brought Falk Brandon back to Polchester brought also the Ronders, Frederick Ronder, newly canon of Polchester, and his aunt, Miss Alice Ronder about them the station gathered in a black cloud dirty obscure lit by flashes of light and flame shaken with screams rumblings the crashing of carriage against carriage the rattle of cab wheels on the cobbles outside to-day also there was the hiss and scatter of the rain upon the glass roof the ronders stood not bewildered for that they never were but thinking what would be the best the new canon was a round man round-shouldered round-faced round-stomached round-legged a fair height he was not ludicrous but it seemed that if you laid him down he would roll naturally still smiling to the farthest end of the station he wore large very round spectacles his black clerical coat and trousers and hat were scrupulously clean and smartly cut he was not a dandy but he was not shabby he smiled a great deal not nervously as curates are supposed to smile not effusively but simply with geniality his aunt was a contrast thin straight stiff white collar little black bow-tie coat like a man's skirt with no nonsense about it no nonsense about her anywhere she was not unamiable perhaps but business came first well what do we do he asked we collect our bags and find the cab she answered briskly they found their bags and there were a great many of them miss ronder having seen that they were all there and that there was no nonsense about the porter moved off to the barrier followed by her nephew as they came into the station square all smelling of hay and the rain the deluge slowly withdrew its forces recalling them gradually so that the drops whispered now patter patter pit pat a pigeon hovered down and pecked at the cobbles faint colour threaded the thick blotting-paper grey old fawcett himself had come to the station to meet them why had he felt it to be an occasion god only knows a new cannon was nothing to him he very seldom now being over eighty with a strange wormy pain in his left ear took his horses out himself he saved his money and counted it over by his fireside to see that his old woman didn't get any of it he hated his old woman and in a vaguely superstitious thoroughly glebeshire fashion half believed that she had cast a spell over him and was really responsible for his wormy ear why had he come he didn't himself know perhaps ronder was going to be of importance in the place he had come from london and they all had money in london he licked his purple protruding lips greedily as he saw the generous man yes kindly and generous he looked they got into the musty cab and rattled away over the cobbles i hope mrs clay got the telegram all right miss ronder's thin bosom was a little agitated beneath its white waistcoat you'll never forgive me if things aren't looking as though we'd lived in the place for months alice ronder was over sixty and as active as a woman of forty ronder looked at her and laughed never forgive you what words do i ever cherish grievances no but i do like to be comfortable 
well everything was all right a week ago i've slaved at the place as you know and mrs clay's a jewel but she complains of the polchester maids says there isn't one that's any good oh i want my tea i want my tea they were climbing up from the market-place into the high street ronder looked about him with genial curiosity very nice he said i believe i can be comfortable here if you aren't comfortable you certainly won't stay she answered him sharply well then i must be comfortable he replied laughing he laughed a great deal but absent-mindedly as though his thoughts were elsewhere it would have been interesting to a student of human nature to have been there and watched him as he sat back in the cab looking through the window indeed but seeing apparently nothing he seemed to be gazing through his round spectacles very short-sightedly his eyes screwed up and dim his fat soft hands were planted solidly on his thick knees the observer would have been interested because he would soon have realized that ronder saw everything nothing however insignificant escaped him but he seemed to see with his brain as though he had learnt the trick of forcing it to some new function that did not properly belong to it the broad white forehead under the soft black clerical hat was smooth unwrinkled mild and calm he had trained it to be so the high street was like any high street of a small cathedral town in the early evening the pavements were sleek and shiny after the rain people were walking with the air of being unusually pleased with the world always the human expression when the storms have withdrawn and there is peace and colour in the sky there were lights behind the solemn panes of bennett's the booksellers that fine shop whose first master had seen sir walter scott in london and spoken to byron in his window were rows of the classics in calf and first editions of the surtees books and dr syntax at the very top of the high street was mellick's the pastry cook's gay with its gas rich with its famous saffron buns its still more famous gingerbread cake and most famous of all its lemon biscuits even as the ronder's cab paused for a moment before it turned to pass under the dark arden gate on to the asphalt of the precincts the great mrs mellick herself round and rubicund came to the door and looked about her at the weather an errand-boy passed whistling down the hill a stiff military-looking gentleman with white moustaches mounted majestically the steps of the conservative club then they rattled under the black archway echoed for a moment on the noisy cobbles then slipped into the quiet solemnity of the precinct's asphalt it was brandon who had insisted on the asphalt old residents had complained that to take away the cobbles would be to rid the precincts of all its atmosphere i don't care about atmosphere said the archdeacon i want to sleep at night very quiet here not a sound penetrated the cathedral was a huge shadow above its darkened lawns not a human soul was to be seen the cab stopped with a jerk at number eight the bell was rung by old fawcett who stood on the top step looking down at ronder and wondering how much he dared to ask him ask him too much now and perhaps he would not deal with him in the future moreover although the man wore large spectacles and was fat he was probably not a fool fawcett could not tell why he was so sure but there was something 
Mrs. Clay was at the door, smiling and ordering a small frightened girl to hurry up now. Miss Ronder disappeared into the house. Ronder stood for a moment, looking about him, as though he were a spy in enemy country, and must let nothing escape him. "'Whose is that big place there?' he asked Fawcett, pointing to a house that stood by itself at the farther corner of the precincts. "'Archdeacon Brandon, sir.' "'Oh!' Ronder mounted the steps. "'Good night,' he said to Fawcett. "'Mrs. Clay, pay the cabman, please.' The Ronders had taken this house a month ago. For two months before that it had stood desolate, wisps of paper and straw blowing about it, its to-let notice creaking and screaming in every wind. The Honourable Mrs. Pentecost, an eccentric old lady, had lived there for many years, and had died in the middle of a game of patience. Her worn and tattered furniture had been sold at auction, and the house had remained unlet for a considerable period, because people in the town said that the ghost of Mrs. Pentecost's cat, a famous blue Persian, walked there. The Ronders cared nothing for ghosts. The house was exactly what they wanted. It had two panelled rooms, two powder closets, and a little walled garden at the back with fruit trees. It was quite wonderful what Miss Ronder had done in a month. She had abandoned Eaton Square for a week, worked in the Polchester house like a slave, then retired back to Eaton Square again, leaving Mrs. Clay, her aide-de-camp, to manage the rest. Mrs. Clay had managed very well. She would not have been in the service of the Ronders for nearly fifteen years had she not had a gift for managing. Ronder, washed and brushed, came down to tea, looked about him, and saw that all was good. "'I congratulate you, Aunt Alice,' he said. "'Excellent!' Miss Ronder very slightly flushed. "'There are a lot of things still to be done,' she said. Nevertheless, she was immensely pleased. The drawing-room was charming. The stenciled walls, the cushions of the chairs, the cover of a gate-legged table, the curtains of the mullioned windows were of a warm, dark blue, and whatever in the room was not blue seemed to be white, or wood in its natural colour, or polished brass. Books ran round the room in low white bookcases. In one corner a pure white Hermes stood on a pedestal with tiny wings outspread. There was only one picture, an excellent copy of Rembrandt's mother. The windows looked out to the garden, now veiled by the dusk of evening. Tea was on a little table close to the white-tiled fireplace. A little square brass clock chimed the half-hour as Ronder came in. "'I suppose Ellen will be over,' Ronder said. He drank in the details of the room with a quiet, sensual pleasure. He went over to the Hermes and lifted it, holding it for a moment in his podgy hands. "'You beauty!' he whispered aloud. He put it back, turned round to his aunt. "'Of course Ellen will be over,' he repeated. "'Of course,' Miss Ronder repeated, picking up the old square black lacquer tea-caddy and peering into it. He picked up the books on the table. Two novels, Sentimental Tommy by J. M. Barry, and Sir George Tressidy by Mrs. Humphrey Ward, Mr. Swinburne's Tale of Balin, and the works of Max Beerbohm. Last of all, Leslie Stephen's Social Rights and Duties. He looked at them all, with their light yellow moody labels, their fresh bindings, then slowly and very carefully put them back on the table. He always handled books as though they were human beings. 
he came and sat down by the fire i won't see over the place until to-morrow he said what have you done about the other books the bookcases are in it's the best room in the house looks over the river and gets most of the light the books are as you packed them i haven't dared touch them in fact i've left that room entirely for you to arrange well he said if you've done the rest of this house as well as this room you'll do it's jolly it really is i'm going to like this place and you hated the very idea of it i hated the discomfort that it'd be before we settled in but the settling in is going to be easier than i thought of course we don't know yet how the land lies ellen will tell us they were silent for a while then he looked at her with a puzzled half-humorous half-ironical glance it's a bit of a blow to you aunt alice burying yourself down here london was the breath of your nostrils what did you come for love of me she looked steadily back at him not love exactly curiosity perhaps i want to see at first hand what you'll do you're the most interesting human being i've ever met and that isn't prejudice aunts do not as a rule find their nephews interesting and what have you come here for i assure you i haven't the least idea the door was opened by mrs clay miss stiles she said miss stiles who came in was not handsome she was large and fat with a round red face like a sun and she wore colours too bright for her size she had a slow soft voice like the melancholy moo of a cow she was not a bad woman but temperamentally was made unhappy by the success or good fortune of others were you in distress she would love you cherish you never abandon you she would share her last penny with you run to the end of the world for you defend you before the whole of humanity were you however in robust health she would hint to every one of a possible cancer were you popular it would worry her terribly and she would discover a thousand faults in your character were you successful in your work she would pray for your approaching failure lest you should become arrogant she gossiped without cessation and always as it were to restore the proper balance of the world to pull down the mighty from their high places to lift the humble only that they in their turn might be pulled down she played fluently and execrably on the piano she spent her day in running from house to house she had independent means lived four months of the year in polchester she had been born there and her family had been known there for many generations before her four months in london and the rest of the year abroad she had met alice ronder in london and attached herself to her she liked the ronders because they never boasted of their successes because alice had a weak heart because ronder who knew her character half humorously deprecated his talents which were as he knew well enough no mean ones she bored alice ronder but ronder found her useful she told him a great deal that he wanted to know and although she was never accurate in her information he could separate the wheat from the chaff she was a walking mischief-maker but meant no harm to a living soul she prided herself on her honesty on saying exactly what she thought to every one she was kindness itself to her servants who adored her as did railway porters cabmen and newspaper men 
she overtipped wherever she went because she could not bear not to be liked in our polchester world she was an important factor she was always the first to hear any piece of news in our town and she gave it a wrong twist just as fast as she could she was really delighted to see the ronders and told them so with many assurances of affection but she was a little distressed to find the room so neat and settled she would have preferred them to be in a thorough mess and badly in need of her help my dear alice how quick you've been how clever you are at the same time i think you'll find there's a good deal to arrange still the polchester girls are so slow and always breaking things i suppose some things have been smashed in the move nothing very valuable i hope oh, lots of things ellen said ronder laughing we've had the most awful time and badly need your help it's only this room that aunt alice got straight just to have something to show you know and our journey down i can't tell you what it was hardly room to breathe and coming up here in the rain oh you poor things what a welcome to polchester you must simply have hated the look of the whole place such a bad introduction and everything looking as gloomy and depressing as possible i expect you wished yourselves well out of it i don't wonder you're depressed i hope you're not feeling your heart alice dear well i am a little acknowledged miss ronder but i shall go to bed early and get a good night you poor dear i was afraid you'd be absolutely done up now you're not to get up in the morning and i'll run about and do your shopping for you i insist how's mrs clay a little grumpy at having so much to do said ronder but she'll get over it i'm afraid she's a little ill-tempered at times said miss stiles with satisfaction i thought when i came in that she looked out of sorts troubles never come singly of course all was well now and miss stiles completely satisfied she admired the room and the hermes and prophesied that after a week or two they would probably find things not so bad after all she drank several cups of tea and passed on to general conversation it was obvious very soon that she was bursting with a piece of news i can see ellen said ronder humorously observing her that you're longing to tell us something well it is interesting what do you think falk brandon has been sent down from oxford for misbehaviour and who is falk brandon asked ronder the archdeacon's son his only boy i've told you about archdeacon brandon many times he thinks he runs the town and has been terribly above himself for a long while this will pull him down a little i must say although i don't want to be uncharitable that i'm glad of it it's too absurd the way that he's been having everything his own way here all the canons are over ninety and simply give in to him about everything when did this happen oh it's only just happened he arrived by your train i saw young george lascelles as i was on my way up to you he met him at the station falk i mean and he didn't pretend to disguise it george said hello brandon what are you doing here and falk said oh i've been sent down just like that didn't pretend to disguise it he's always been as brazen as anything he'll give his father a lot of trouble before he's done there's nothing very terrible said ronder laughing in being sent down from oxford i've known plenty of good fellows who were miss stiles looked annoyed 
oh but you don't know it will be terrible for his father he's the proudest man in england some people call it conceit but however that may be he thinks there's nothing like his family even poor mrs brandon he's proud of when she isn't there it will be awful for him that every one should know ronder said nothing you know said miss stiles who felt that her news had fallen flat you'll have to fight him or give in to him there's no other way here i hope you'll fight him i said ronder why i never fight anybody i'm much too lazy then you'll never be comfortable here that's all he can't bear being crossed he must have his own way about everything if the bishop weren't so old and the dean so stupid what we want here is a little life in the place you needn't look to us for that ellen said ronder we've come here to rest peace perfect peace i don't believe you said miss stiles tossing her head i'd be disappointed to think it of you alice ronder gave her nephew a curious look half of amusement half of expectation it's quite true ellen she said now if you've finished your tea come and look at the rest of the house End of Book 1, Chapter 2